Hello and welcome to the IC Interviews. I'm Dave Baxter and today I'm speaking to no less than three fund managers. Today we have Peter Michaelis, Simon Clements and Chris Foster. All three managers work on Lion Trust's Sustainable Future team, um, responsible for a handful of very strong performing ESG equity funds. Uh, these three would work as the lead managers on the Lion Trust ESG Trust. Um, that's an investment trust that's due to do an IPO in the coming weeks. Uh, I'll be speaking to the team about how the trust will differ from their existing funds, what criteria they look for when buying companies, how ESG is changing, and why they hold the likes of Alphabet. Simon, Peter and Chris, thank you for joining me today. It's been interesting that you guys are now focusing on uh, plans for an investment trust um, using your established investment process. Um, I suppose it begs the question, why now for an investment trust? Thanks, Dave. Yeah, so we on the on the sustainable investment treatment land trust, we're, we're sort of not in the habit of launching uh, products very frequently. The last time we, we launched a new strategy was 2014. Uh, and so we put a lot of thought into uh, the investment trust and what we could do to make it distinctive from the open-ended funds uh, that we run. Now, the open-ended funds have been running since uh, 2001, so it's a 20-year track record, uh, where we've set out to deliver strong returns by investing in sustainable companies. Uh, and that, that's going to be the foundation for the investment trust. But in addition, uh, there will be some distinctive features, which the, the closed-end nature of the investment trust lends it to itself to. Um, so the first is that in comparison to the open-ended fund, there will be a wider opportunity set of companies. So we'll look across the globe for sustainable businesses that make great investments, but we will be looking down the market cap scale. So down mm -hmm. to the so even 100 million market cap, whereas our open-ended fund has a, has a 2 billion cutoff. Uh, secondly, we're looking to have a more concentrated strategy. So it'll be about 30, you know, 30 stocks within the portfolio rather than the 50, which you find in our open-ended funds. And those will be concentrated in um, companies exhibiting superior sustainability characteristics in terms of their products and services. So on a matrix, it'll be only the A's and B's, whereas the open-ended uh, can invest in, in the C's as well. So those are are two, two very distinctive aspects. In addition, um, you know, our clients in the, um, uh, the open-ended funds care about how their money is invested, the nature of the businesses that they're invested in. And so uh, for the investment trust, we will be you know, reporting on the positive nature of the business's um, activities so through the themes that they're linked to, and we'll talk, talk more about that, but also the sustainable development goals. Uh, and then another feature is that we will be using a portion of the management fee to fund research and development into sustainable development goals, which are, are hard to invest in currently. So it's, if you like, it's thinking long term about creating more investment vehicles to address uh, you know, important sustainable sustainability goals. And then the final element is that as, as an investment trust, 
uh, we we're able to use a, a moderate amount of gearing, which can potentially enhance returns. So those are the four distinctive aspects about ESGT, which we feel makes this a, you know, a really interesting product that plays into the investment trust space and offers people who like investment trusts uh, the opportunity to invest in um, you know, our, our sustainable future strategy. How does the greater concentration, say, compared with the open-ended sustainable future global growth fund, how does that and the focus on, for example, small cap names um, affect the kind of risk levels and the potential returns? We obviously run these through the risk models. And at the difference in, you know, the, the, the main metrics we use is, is ex-ante expected volatility of the fund. And it's about a percentage point above that of global growth. That's before gearing. Um, with the gearing, it'd be marginally higher. But that really compares. So if you think about global growth is about a percent in terms of ex-ante volatility above managed growth, which is the next one down the risk category. Mm. So it's kind of just slight, slightly above. So, you know, it's got less stocks. It's got, you know, it's, it's not just got the small caps. It's a blend of some really interesting small caps with the really stable, high conviction, large cap names. Um, and obviously it benefits from the diversification of the, of the process. Um, so the overall volatility is, it's, it's a little bit higher, but it's kind of commensurate with, um, you know, what we'd expect um, you know, and, and it should, you know, it should perform re- reasonably similarly, but obviously, you know, the, the, each stock has a, a bigger position um, and, you know, you'd expect a more concentrated fund to, to deliver more outperformance, you know, assuming the process is working well, which we fully expect it to. Are you taking the, or planning to take the more concentrated approach simply because you don't have the, um, I suppose, the um, drawbacks of an open-ended structure? kind of preventing you from doing that or yeah exactly you know an investment trust is a closed end vehicle you don't have to deal with flows um you know that, that you could it's kind of the capital's there so it allows you to kind of um you know you know go more down that that market cap end of the scale without having to you know trade some of these names which can be more, more difficult to trade and you kind of know you know you roughly know how big your fund is so so you know it's it's it's, it's much more kind of aligned with you know companies that have less liquidity and also that kind of i mean our, our process is about long-term thinking so it does align well well with that as well yes yeah, so i was interested to um see in the, the documents about the trust you mentioned the term um time arbitrage it's quite an interesting phrase about the idea of uh, simply being kind of more patient than uh, some other investors perhaps um but going back to uh sort of moving further down the market cap scale um, it's interesting you've mentioned small caps and you've also mentioned um, unlisted companies, which is a kind of growing focus for many investment trust um, equity managers. Uh, what kind of records do you guys have in this space? Is it something you've dealt with before? We, we don't have a record in, in unlisted and that, that's why we won't be, uh, we won't be investing in, in unlisted, but, but the benefits of uh, small cap, actually, Chris, do you want do you want to talk to that because you did a, a sort of bit of work around you know what the benefits are around going smaller cap and also concentrating on those more sustainable companies. Yeah, sure. So the first thing is really you know through our process we didn't want to be constrained by the ideas that we found through our thematic idea generation process, which is all about finding 
big long-term sustainability trends and finding which which companies are most likely to benefit from being exposed to those trends. And and we thought the investment trust would allow us to be unconstrained in in the, the size of the companies that we were able to invest in off the back of that investment process. And we think there's a number of reasons why over the long term, you know, smaller businesses, smaller cap companies tend to deliver some very uh, attractive returns. We think um, there's, there's less efficiency in those markets. We think they're less well covered, and there's less in, there's less of a, a less of an incentive structure behind analysts and um, sell side analysts covering these types of names because they're much much less liquid. They're unfortunately not able to be accessed by lots of fund managers. So. We actually think the ability to to kind of outperform and to find some really fantastic names that are that are less well covered is 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 something that that is really exciting and 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 as we touched on, you know, that the permanence of capital that an investment trust provides you with enables you to do that in, in quite a high conviction way if, if that's if that's what, what what you would like to do. And on that basis, the reason we think that is an attractive thing to do is we've we've looked back at our own internal data and we've realized that actually from the companies we have previously rated on a sustainability basis, the stronger sustainability companies have actually gone on to outperform um, more significantly than the kind of the weaker sustainability rated companies. So the idea is to then therefore use this product to invest in the strongest sustainability names, the ones that are strongest in terms of their exposure to these really exciting long-term themes and trends that we're seeing in the sustainability landscape but also the businesses that are the best, the best managed and the, and the best position to kind of take advantage of, of that exposure to those trends. How does it work out in the kind of small cap space in terms of due diligence? Um, you've mentioned there's kind of less coverage and I imagine uh, for any investor, there's kind of greater research to be done, but then you add the kind of ESG lens there. I mean, is that a bigger challenge than with some of the kind of larger companies? So it's interesting, actually, that, that, that you should mention that because on the face of it, the smaller businesses tend to have much smaller budgets. So they don't tend to have um, very detailed corporate social responsibility reports to, to, to kind of sift through and they don't have huge teams working on the marketing behind that. Where the value is really add for, for us is actually meeting the company, often going to meet them physically when, when, when you're allowed to do such risky things like that and pre pre COVID and something we're looking forward to getting back to as, as soon as possible. But there's a real value to visiting these companies, finding out, understanding the culture, meeting people across the organization and, and understanding how they treat their employees, what it's like to work there. And, and, and there's a huge amount of value there because we, one of our key beliefs in the team is that the integrating sustainability into an investment approach can deliver, we think, fantastic investment returns over the long term and one of the reasons is it's very very difficult to integrate really well really key esg metrics into financial modeling and yet we think they really do drive performance and, and that's that's a real key aspect so kind of being able to go and visit these smaller companies and, and, and really get to know them get to know the culture get to know kind of how these businesses are run and managed we think is actually um, a really, a really uh, useful insight and, and, and should help us find these businesses and, and something we're excited about doing. What Are there any kind of key things you look for when you're trying to gauge, um, I suppose, whether a company is kind of walking the walk in terms of 
um, meeting those themes you're looking for and generally kind of looking attractive from an ESG perspective? Yeah, we're, we've developed our own process over the last couple of decades. And we, we sort of split companies up into what they do, so the product and service. We rank that in terms of sustainability, and that's um, uh, and, and that, that's sort of pretty clear. And it, it, the idea is you think that our economy is developed to become cleaner, healthier, and safer. Um, so which areas of the economy are going to see an increase in, in growth of, in demand for their products? And so we rank companies from A to E on that basis. And that also links to our themes, the 21 themes, which are highlighting areas of the economy where there's that positive, uh, predictable growth. In addition, we then analyze companies in terms of how they're managed. Um, so how do they manage their key environmental, social and governance um, exposures? And so, so that's looking at um, yeah, how they manage their, their employees, uh, their incentives, their governance, uh, environmental impacts, um, you know, suppliers, customers, broader society. Um, and those will uh, be material to a varying degree, depending on what sector you're in. But so, so that's, that's the approach that we, that we take. And we, yeah, we, we think we're, uh, you know, over the years, we've learned how to sort um, the, the sort of material factors from those that are sort of mm. more like anecdotal or marketing based. What's um what's a good example of of one sector I suppose where one kind of factor is more material than another? Are there kind of really dominant criteria you look for in one sector over another? Um, okay, I, I mean I, I'll start with this, but if you look at financials, um, so culture and governance and um, um, sort of I guess so things like net promoter scores of the the customers. Um, are you know, incredibly important, whereas you know carbon emissions from their offices is is less important. Um, but then, if you look at a, a, an industrial company, it'll be health and safety at work, um, uh, energy use, uh, relationship with suppliers. Um, those will be to the fore um, rather than the others. I don't know, Simon. Do you want to add? Yeah, no, I was gonna, I was gonna say the same thing. Um, you know, it's just it's that experience, which is really important. And you know, net promoter scores is a really something we place a lot of um, value on. I think across most of our businesses, you know, companies with really high net promoter scores who put their customers first um, is something that we we value very, very highly. Um, but also, you know, it's about getting a feel for the, the culture of the business. And you know, that's a question that we always ask: is you know describe the culture you know a lot of people just talk about numbers we'll try to talk about cultures what's it like to work there you know what trying trying to trying to find companies that are aligned with the sort of values that, that we feel are important for long-term success mm, that's interesting um it's quite an interesting thing for investors to consider i suppose the way the way the criteria change depending on what what kind of company you're looking at um more generally um, on the ESG space, we've perhaps, some people would argue ESG has finally hit something of a tipping point in the last year or so. If you look at uh, kind of fund flows and um, indicators of investor interest, um, as you've mentioned, you've been doing this for a very long time now. Um, how does that flood of money affect what you do? Um, for example, I mentioned the kind of risk of greenwashing. Um, 
and also I suppose it has a knock-on effect on valuations, which is interesting. I mean, it, does that kind of add any element to your things you need to look out for in your kind of due diligence process? It's a really kind of pertinent question, and it's something that we, you know, we, we get asked about a lot, and, and we think about mm. a lot. But, but I mean, we have a process, and and you know, on on the kind of valuation piece, you know, a key part of our, our process, process is is valuation, fundamentals of valuation. And we've always, you know, you know, for a period there, there was there was you know things like you know Chinese solar is an example, whereby Chinese solar was great from a sustainability point of view, but they were terrible investments, right? The, the business fundamentals were, were pretty much zero. So, you know, that part of the process protected us through, you know, not not underperforming through, you know, in that in that area. So at the moment, you know, our valuation criteria is really important. Um, now, with our valuation criteria, we look out five years and, and we work out what we think the business is going to deliver and what that's worth. So key flags that, that we look for is companies, you know, that, that may be, you know, part of some sort of emerging bubble is whereby stock performance purely is driven by a, a re-rating of the multiple of the company, not commensurate with what we think the business is going to deliver. And often that's that the earnings don't really change, but the, the, the multiple changes a lot. Now, the multiple can change with the earnings staying the same for, for a variety of different reasons that can be justified. But it is when you've been doing this for so long, you know, that you, you do have flags around valuation. and We won't touch any of those. Okay. Um, so, so, so that's, that's a piece around valuation. I mean, in terms of when you think about, you know the kind of the kind of acceptance of, of ESG investing and the importance of it, particularly with flows. Um, you, know, you, you can't really argue against that if you look at kind of net flows versus base. You know, investment. You know, percentage of investment. You know, you're talking multiples, so it is growing. Mm-hmm. And you know that means that's good and bad. That's good because the pie is getting bigger, but it's also you know there's more competition. Um, so you know we really focus on on what we do well. We, we, we've clearly got a lot more experience than, than you know, other people, but it's really important that, you know, we, 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 you know, we stay on top of the, the, the kind of the key trends that we, and that we, you know, focus on, um, you know, what we're really good at. And I think that we've got a process and, and a team that's been together a long time that was proven the test of time, but, you know, it's clearly a very competitive space and, mm. you know, we, we need to kind of, you know, stay on top of, stay on top of what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting with your, valuation discipline um does that make it kind of quite painful sometimes to have to let go of companies that are actually really attractive in terms of you know what they're fundamentally doing but they've just simply re-rated so much that it doesn't fit in with the process yeah i mean you know i think often selling a stock that that you really like that's done really well for you you know that that, that sadly doesn't fit the vulgar it's always difficult it's you know arguably you know some one of the most difficult aspects of investing um, but you know, you really, you really kind of have to do it. And and the good thing about you know, particularly the, the, this this fund, um, and generally you know the global equities funds, which are pretty focused, is that you know we've only got fifty stocks, we've got thousands to choose from. You know, we should be you know the, the, you know there's always something you know more in, there's something there that that will fit all four parts of our criteria that we we generally have waiting to, to go. And we don't turn over the fund a lot. So we only add a kind of handful of ideas a year. So, you know, we take the opportunity to, to do that. I mean, sometimes, you know, we, we've had stocks, we've done that and we still watch them because we, we think, you know, that the company's great, but, um, you know, the valuation just, just is, is kind of just out of whack. So, and, you know, mm-hmm. it, essentially we believe that, that that valuation, you know, probably will normalize you know, the company probably deliver, but, you know, the multiples probably may, maybe gone too high. So yeah, it is, it is a, it's a challenge. But part as part of the, the the process and the discipline of what we do. Did you find yourself um, last year being forced to kind of do um, perhaps greater levels of profit taking or anything like that, given some of the performance? 
don't know if you want to talk through Trepanion, Chris. I think it's a great example of, of how we, you know, company that we love and, and how we kind of in, in practice have, have implemented the process. Yeah, sure. So um, we, we stumbled across a company called Trepanion, which was a, a North American based pet insurance company, um, which is about as niche as it, as it sounds. Um, and what we particularly liked about this business was it was operating in a space whereby less than 2% of the 180 million pets across North America were currently insured. And that compares to you know, Europe and the UK at kind of 20, 25% of, of the population. Um, we did a lot of work about kind of why that's the case. And, and our conclusion was really that the insurance products that were being offered just weren't typically very good. Um, and this is where Trepanion came in. So Trepanion is a founder-led organization and they basically tackled each of the each of the issues around the insurance market and kind of designed a product that was meant to pay out a certain a certain figure so 70 percent of every dollar that came in as a premium was then designed to be paid out in terms of claims so it was kind of flipping the the um the insurance model on its head to to, to make sure that the the customer is being is being awarded a certain amount of value for their premiums instead of the traditional model of insurance, which is try and hold on to as much profit as possible and pay out as little as possible. So it's a completely different business model. We, we really like this business um, and we, we kind of invested in it first. It was about uh, 18 months ago. And as you know, what can tend to happen in, in markets is the shares didn't really do anything for for quite a long time. Um, and, you know, we sort of acquired the shares at around $30 a share and, and the business was continuing to deliver and, 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 and grow the business really, really nicely. And, and, and uh, everything was going really well. And then all of a sudden in 2020, the shares went from kind of $30 to $60 overnight. And then actually beginning of 2021, they hit hundred I think $126 was the, was the peak. Um, and kind of going, to, going back to what Simon was saying, really that fourth aspect when it came to refreshing what we thought the business was worth five years out at $126 a share. Unfortunately, despite the fantastic progress the business has made throughout that year, we just couldn't get the upside um, in order to merit holding on to that position. And I think one of the benefits of having concentrated portfolios is there's a huge competition for capital. So by staying in a name, you're making a decision that you're not investing in another company. And the great thing is, about having you know really well-resourced team is that there's always fantastic names coming through in the pipeline. So it's it's a nice place to be in. It, it, it kind of encourages competition for capital. Well, that's an example of a company that you know has exited the portfolio at the start of 2021, and, and yet it's a business that we think is fantastic and, and will continue to, to to deliver. I'm sure. Interesting. And within um, your themes, or perhaps within sectors, um, are there kind of any areas that either do look um, notably highly valued and equally are there any areas that you think actually um, have perhaps been a bit underappreciated and therefore look more interesting market valuations are you know overall reasonably high at the moment i mean you can look at any metric um, i mean i think the question is we're at the um we're at whether we are at just the start of another economic cycle and, and i think generally things look really expensive then because the earnings are at the bottom of a cycle um I mean, I think that at the end of last year, um, you know, we did see some, 
you know, some full valuations in some of the, the growth technology names. And we had taken some um, taken some profits there and recycled into areas of the market where we particularly anything that, around our financial services, uh, financial resilience themes, we foresaw some good opportunities. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's probably reversed somewhat early, earlier in the year. Um, I mean, I, I think we'll be honest and say that, I mean, it's hard to find unless, you know, you're, you're touching kind of you know, really kind of more lower quality areas of the market. It's hard to find areas of the market that optically are very, very cheap at the moment. But, you know, obviously what that misses is that potentially the earnings that you're valuing that on are potentially, you know, at the very early part of a cycle. So, you know, if you focus on five years out, then, you know, we do find lots of opportunities for, for, for things which trade you know, at, at valuations we feel are, are attractive. Yeah, yeah. And speaking about another, I suppose, element of the um, ESG world, um, there's been, I suppose, a lot of interesting debate now about whether investors should focus on um, companies that don't necessarily look very good on an ESG um, criteria basis uh, in the hope that by kind of investing with them, by engaging with them, you can actually push through a lot of progress there. Now, that, that doesn't necessarily seem to perhaps fit with your approach, but is that something you have any kind of take on? Um, no, I mean, that's that's not, not our approach. I mean, it, it's a sort of valid um a valid strategy to, you know, in, in a way engage in uh, a very um, uh, a sort of focused way to try and improve the ESG characteristics of a company. And but but that's not what we what we do. Um, we focus on those companies that are already, you know, doing well in terms of sustainability. We will engage with them to get them. To improve where we feel they need to improve because no no business is perfect um and, and that's that's how we play the uh, and utilize the useful information that's contained within the sustainability analysis um what i what i would say though about uh changing businesses is that i think it's easier to change how businesses are managed so you can you can change that in you know in a in a few years you can change the way a business is run. I think it's really difficult to change the entire nature of a business. Mm. So, you know, moving from being a a, a sort of a fossil fuel based company to being a good clean energy company, uh, you know, and then the 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 sort of uh, parallel that we have in our mind is is. Yeah, things like Kodak and digital camera or um, uh, you know Nokia and the smartphone you've you've got to kill your business to grow into the next business and that that for so many reasons of culture capital allocation um, habit is is just really 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 hard to do mm. so so that's not something we we sort of put our resource into what we try to do is focus on the the best sustainable investments that we can put in the portfolio um i guess we that's how we've delivered returns over time and that's how we'll continue to do it yeah do you think over time you might be able to have more of a focus on things like um emerging markets if you start to see more progress there or have you actually found yourself sort of considering companies there more 
I mean, we have invested in emerging market listed companies. We've invested mm. in companies listed or Chinese companies listed in Hong Kong. So Brazilian companies usually listed in the US. So it's a, you know it has something. I mean, we we are um, we we tend because our because our criteria is so kind of we're quite stringent around disclosure and, and governance. It's really important to us. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't understand how we can really kind of get to grips properly with the management of a, of a company if, if it doesn't disclose anything. So that that's often a barrier. Now you you're right, that's improving. Um, but I think it's you know generally it, it's it's a reasonably kind of long way away from you know what we expect because we are really going for the best quality companies now. But that doesn't mean. But, we, but remember, we do have a lot of emerging market exposure in our in our business, in our portfolio because of the globalized nature of, of companies mm. these days. So you can get exposure to China, for instance, through you know a lot of the Japanese listed names, for instance, have very big operations in China and you know very very high quality things like air, you know energy efficient air conditioners. And you can do that with a business that you know really you have a you know a, a large amount of kind of um you know confidence in in, in them um so and remember it, you know it's 30 stocks in this portfolio it's 50 in the, in the core um you know we, we really kind of choose to be picky so we, we always say we always look we, we often we rate companies we don't we don't completely ignore it but as i say to, to actually pass those four stages of the process particularly that second one around sustainability analysis it is, you know, it, it can be quite challenging in emerging markets just because disclosure is poor and the governance is often not not what we, we, we you know, we're willing to kind of to, to, to accept in, 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 in investment on behalf of our clients. Yeah, I think even beyond ESG, particularly with areas like China, it's something that comes up again and again, you know, interesting source of growth, perhaps, but people have understandable issues with things like disclosure. Um, moving back to another end of, of the markets. Um, your biggest holding, um, at least in recent disclosures, was um, Alphabet. So I thought we've discussed this before, but I thought it'd be interesting just to touch on your approach to the fangs. Um, I, I approached you about this last year. Um, you talked to Alphabet. You said Netflix was perhaps a closer one to maybe becoming investable, but weren't so keen on the others. Um, is that still kind of where you're at or...? Yeah, I mean, Netflix is still not investable. It's not in the portfolio. You know, Alphabet is is yeah. is the one that's in the portfolio. Um, I mean, we do again. We we do a huge amount of diligence, and you know, our thesis on on Alphabet, we are actually really comfortable with. You know, it is the one we we you know one of the ones we get asked about the most. Mm. Um, you know, we do feel that that you know the thesis around Alphabet is 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 um, you know kind of holds ground we think it's strong enough you know there's obviously some negatives there's also some huge positives and we think you know on balance it, it deserves to be to be available it's obviously a big position too because position sizes are built off not just the sustainability analysis also the business fundamentals and the valuation and you know alphabet is very very uh, you know appealing from, from both those last two particularly um so you know fundamentally it's just a, a very very good business and you know again you know we feel that you know, the, the core product is, is is positive. We think that it's you know it's taking all that information from the internet and creating creating you know an accessible porthole, and it's something everybody uses every day. And there's obviously a lot of positives alongside things like the other bets and mm. they do this play, things in life science. There's things you know things like auto, you know autonomous driving. They're you know the biggest player, um, and they really do use capital you know to try and attain you know in line with a lot of the kind of 
the goals that, that we have ourselves for where the world's going. So with some clear negatives as well, like, you know, the tax in the past and, um, you know, obviously that there's, there is some negativity around things like um, YouTube, but YouTube's only a small part of the business. So Chris is actually the analyst on the stock. So he, he might, might want to add some, some more. We offer, we do often get asked about it. Basically when you take the pros and the cons of the company, we think that, that there are clear net benefits to, to, to the company. So, so that's kind of our position on, on, on Alphabet. Yeah. And what, well, Dave, what we're trying to do with, with our technology is to look at where technology addresses a, a, a particular vertical, a particular issue. Um, and so, so we invest in Autodesk, which helps to make the whole construction sector much more efficient. Uh, DocuSign, which is you know, amazing in terms of reducing and speeding up the whole document processing, uh, uh, you know, part part of the economy. Intuitive Surgical, you know, in, in terms of uh, improving the productivity and efficacy of surgeons. Yeah, so it's technology for a for a very clear purpose, um, and we we think that that really underpins the investment case for those. Yeah, um. You mentioned with Alfred the uh, perhaps some areas of controversy um, and you've also hold, held some other stocks that have um, kind of run into very controversial moments like Kingspan, for example. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with that um, when a company does kind of run into moments of scrutiny, bad press? I mean, what's your general process? Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the, the first thing is that we... Um, yeah, we, we analyze companies. So we're looking for those companies which are going to be you know, the better companies and the way they manage their environmental, social governance uh, exposures. Um, but no company is perfect and nor do we have a, you know, an infallible crystal ball. And so occasionally businesses will um, you know, end up with controversies surrounding them. And so the, the process that we, we undertake is firstly to you know, investigate uh, you know what is the actual issue, so to, to look at that in in uh, you know greater depth. Uh, it's then to ascertain that you know the company's responsibility for that and what remedial action you know they should take uh, and whether they can take that. And then it's a reassessment of our uh, our view given this new information uh, in terms of the sustainability of that business. You know, our preference is always to try to work with businesses because we think you know, we build a long relationship with businesses over the years to work with them to say, look, <clears throat> you know, this, this has happened, uh, this has come to light, you know, what, um, what are you intending to do with it? And this is what we would, we would like to see. Um, so so that, that's the process. And ultimately, it's, um, you know, it's a balance between engaging or if we really think the issue has uncovered something we didn't know about that the company isn't going to adequately deal with. Uh, then we will then we will sell sell the position. If you, if you like, in terms of those sustainability, business fund, fundamentals, and, and valuation, uh, if it affects you know, the sustainability and the business fundamentals uh, to a large degree, then we will exit the position. Mm. Yes, it sounds like an interesting balancing act before the between the uh, kind of longer term approach and trying to spot those genuine decisive yeah. issues i mean obviously no one wants one so no one 
wants to wake up in the morning and see their company embroiled in a, in a controversy. But mm. yeah, the right thing to do is to use a, a sort of measured analytical process to, to go through to work out what is the best way to to, um, to lead to a better outcome. You know, sometimes the easiest thing to do is to sort of sell the stock, uh, but we don't think that's the right thing to do on behalf of our, our clients or, or the company as well. Yeah. On to slightly different subjects. It's interesting how ESG processes can sometimes, um, I suppose, materially change how much of a market you can invest in. And that's always been an interesting element uh, with the UK market. Um, so it'd be interesting to talk briefly about your UK fund, um, kind of how much it excludes, but also I suppose there is a big sector in the FTSE 100 that you do have a big focus on that you've uh, you've already mentioned. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the UK market is interesting because the benchmark itself is dominated by, by lots of things that don't actually lend themselves to sustainability. So, you know, re- very resource heavy um, uh, sort of index, but, and, and tobacco is a big feature as well. Now, um, we don't actually look at the constituents uh, and we don't actually, we don't sort of start from the index and then work out what we can of and what we can't. What we, what we, what we do is we say the, the benchmark gives you an indication of, of the returns that you're likely to see from this asset class, UK equities, and the volatility. And if we can if we can deliver superior returns to our clients versus that, then we're doing a good job and it's worth the management fee that, 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 that they pay us. Um, so uh, I can't give you a, a sort of number as to what we exclude, um, but in a way, we're trying to get to a 50-stock portfolio. Um, so we're trying to exclude you know, 90% of available companies um in a way and that, that's the filter and sustainability is, is part of that as you mentioned you're kind of big backers of financials aren't you because it fits into your theme of saving for the future increasing financial resilience is that the current format of the theme i know you update them kind of now and then and ensuring yeah. a sustainable economy as well as the third one yeah. the financial sector yeah i mean i wouldn't you know the fund the global funds are marginally overweight financials i mean it doesn't it's not, it's not i wouldn't say it's a huge part of our, of, of the overweight but you know we we see the the you know the financial sector is you think about the economy of the future we think of you know a thriving financial sector is an important part of that you know and there's mm. certain things that they need to do they need to you know try to provide you know products you know for, for saving that do it in a kind of cost effective and try to help you know with that knowledge gap they also need to provide insurance which gives safety nets um, to, to help you know help help people you know you know improve the kind of safety in their lives and um, also you know just banks that, that again you know look after their customers well understand their customers well and you know give a great you know great 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 service to them and you know for us that's really important you know it's, it's a really important part of you know a sustainable this sustainable economy of the future and that's really what we're about we're trying to think about you know where, where we what where we think the economy is heading I think financials has been a really interesting topical sector in the last year because you've seen this um, uh, rise of perhaps a new generation of DIY investors, at least in the, the kind of pandemics and lockdowns and that kind of thing. Um, has that had a big effect on your companies or how you think of the sector? Because you, you've had some, you've had some really, you know, interesting events like the kind of GameStop saga. You've had the 
rush to cryptocurrencies. And on the one hand, it's kind of interesting to see people more engaged with investing. On the other hand, there are perhaps valid concerns that people will kind of run into trouble and then never want to invest again. Yeah, no, David, it's something that we're very aware of because we, so saving for the future, one type of business we really like is uh, the investment platforms. So, you know, we, we, we hold Charles Schwab in, yep. in, in the US to get exposure there. We've got um, a business called Avanza Bank in um, Sweden. Uh, and we also are investors in AJ, AJ Bell and, and Hargreaves Landstein in the UK. And we think on the, on the, so initially, like Simon said, we basically think that people aren't saving enough today in order to fund the type of retirement lifestyles that they, they would like. Um, and there's been a shift away from defined benefit pensions towards defined contribution pensions. Mm. Governments are increasingly indebted. And when you combine all of that, you, you, the, the onus is increasingly on the, the, the responsibility is increasingly on the individual. Um, and, and therefore, we think businesses that help in, individuals save more for their uh, future are enormously um, important so that's the kind of starting base and we think that, that so that's one of the themes you know we think there's going to be a, a nice tailwind um, to these businesses they also democratize investments as well in the sense of you know they provide access to investment funds and products that they just wouldn't have been able to access previously without being quite wealthy and having a financial advisor to, to do all of that so we really like the democratizing element as well and they're also very low cost um you know, even Hargreaves gets um, a lot of headlines for, for um, being more expensive. But actually, when you think about, how, you know, less than a percent to manage to have access to these products every year, we think is, is actually quite, a, quite a, it's quite a, an attractive proposition. And, you know, the customer service and the quality of the service they provide is, is, is fantastic. On the GameStop saga, and we were watching very, very closely, it is something that we are quite concerned about more generally because, you want people to be incentivized to be investing and saving for the future. And what you don't want is a big rush of retail investors piling into things that, that essentially may go down quite significantly in value. And therefore, you know, lots of people's savings uh, go down a lot in value and they lose faith in, and, and they lose um, kind of confidence in that mechanism for investing and savings. So what we really like and what we speak to these, these platforms about is encouraging and educating their customers on something something called dollar cost averaging which i'm sure you know your, your listeners yep, yep. are very aware of and we think it's a fantastic fantastic thing to to do you know it, it it enables compounding and compounding is literally you know one of the wonders of the world if you the worst thing you can do is interrupt compounding and and that and that's something that we think is incumbent on the platforms that we invest in to try and help educate their customers on on kind of regular savings investments in you know quite diversified um, products so it's something we're watching very very closely but we think on the surface we think it's great that people are increasingly engaged and interested in in investing and in looking after their own financial futures we think that's on, on, on initially very positive but we are closely following it is it do you have similar concerns then on the kind of crypto side of things as well or is that a different story well, yeah, so we don't have very much exposure in the portfolio at all to um, what's going on in the, in the, in the crypto space. Mm-hmm. We're obviously watching it very closely because it has potentially very large implications in, in, on a number of our portfolio holdings further down the line in terms of how these cryptocurrencies develop, in terms of 
the blockchain technology in terms of things like Ethereum and um, and and the opportunities that, that that kind of may offer companies going forward. So we're we're closely following it, um, but we're not we're not there's nothing really exposed in the portfolio to to, to those areas. Yeah, not not a Bitcoin evangelist just yet. No, um, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.